I know what it's like to work in B2B and wear a lot of hats. One minute you're optimizing your inbound funnel, the next you're working on a demand gen program, all while trying to keep on top of all the opportunities landing in your inbox. That's why I'm a big fan of Chili Piper and their concierge tool. It's built specifically for marketers like you who are strapped for time and under pressure to deliver results. It uses intelligent rules that auto-qualify and route inbound inquiries from your website to the right salesperson in your organization. And this means that you capture more than the 60% of leads that never convert to a meeting because companies just don't react quickly enough. No leaky funnel, more leads, more meetings, more pipeline. What's not to love? Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com forward slash B2B better to learn more. Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping early stage marketing teams do better than boring work. My name is Jason Bradwell and every week I sit down with whip smart marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build a modern day strategy that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. So today on B2B Better, I'm excited to be joined by Brooke Perry, who is the VP of Marketing for a company called Nuffsed. How are you doing, Brooke? Great. Thank you for, for having me here. It's great to have you. Um, tell me a little bit about Nuffsed. Um, it's quite a unique name, um, quite an interesting name. Tell me a little bit about the company and your role within it. Yeah, so Nuffsed is a proactive intelligence product for customer success teams. Um, there's that's the short story. The long story is that there's two pieces of it. It can be used by customers uh, CSMs as a workflow tool. It basically centralizes all of a CSM's data and apps. So Salesforce, Gmail, Slack, uh, Jira, HubSpot, and then it uses AI to prioritize the work that matters. So for a CSM, that would be customers based on renewal dates and account size and things like that. Um, and then there's also a data side too. So since we have all the communications in one place with customers, it gives customer success leaders the ability to bring the voice of the customer and influence decisions across departments. So um, one of our modules is called the bugs and feature module. And it brings all of the customer requests in one place. And so a customer success leader can basically use that report and just send it to, to product leader. And, and it, it basically gives a really easy case for why you should prioritize one customer request over the other. Um, so that's enough said. Uh, I joined enough said about a year and a half ago and uh, to lead the marketing team. My background is mainly in content marketing. So I focus heavily on that, um, but also just kind of do whatever the business needs me to do. So. Um, there is a lot of reactive work uh, from sales, um, you know, building lead scores, overhauling the website, kind of whatever needs to happen is also part of the job. That's the joy, I guess, of taking on a VP position within within an early stage startup. Um, you have to wear lots yeah. of different hats, um, but it's not just you, as I understand it. You have got a growing team around you. Walk me through the current team setup. How many folks have you got working on marketing uh, over at Nuffsed? Um, who's responsible for what? And uh, tell me a little bit about your ways of working. You know, Has a pandemic, for instance, affected uh, how, how you guys all cr create so much content? Yeah. So we're, we're actually a really lean team. And that was a decision that we made early on. We wanted to invest in people and not uh, paid marketing, at least mm -hmm. for the time being. Um, and especially we'll get into this in a bit, I'm sure, but um, we hadn't, when I, when I joined, we hadn't launched a product yet. So it kind of felt backwards to put money behind something where, where we weren't able to get people in yet. Um, 
And so on my team, I have one full-time team member, Natalie Ryder. She, she actually is running the backbone of our content strategy. So she does everything from um, our weekly newsletter, our weekly podcast, um, and she schedules, edits, promotes, kind of does everything on all of those. Uh, she also has an interview series, and she gets our CEO, Chris, on uh, other podcasts, publications, things like that. So she's really just kind of running the consistent pulse that we have. Um, and then we've also worked with contractors and agencies kind of at various times. Um, and, uh, that's something that I, I think marketing is uniquely able to do. There's, there seems to be a con- like a contractor or an agency kind of for every, every single type of job. Um, we work with design contractors for different one-off jobs. We do, a, we, we really think about design as a, um, as an important thing we want to come off as fresh uh, and not outdated. Um, we have, we've worked with a contractor to help us get some of what we were calling the repackaging work off the ground. That person helped us get social, uh, a community email campaigns, things like that off the ground before we launched the product, which was awesome. Um, and then we also occasionally work with web design and, and engineering people as well. Right. It's, um, you know, I, I, I think, most of the kind of listeners of B2B Better are probably in a similar situation to you. They are kind of early stage uh, marketing teams, perhaps even solo marketers, and probably have a very similar team setup um, to Nuff said in that they in-house the kind of the strategy and to a degree the execution, but then work with those kind of freelancers, contractors, agencies, just to kind of help scale um, some some of their efforts where where it makes sense. Um, certainly, that's the right. way that when I've built up B two B marketing teams in the past for enterprise clients is how I've done it. I'd rather have a kind of a core in house team who can handle the vision and then outsource as much of that kind of non speciality um, execution that it just doesn't make sense to house to house in house. Um, and I'm sure yeah. we could do an entire episode on the building of a high functioning content marketing mm-hmm. team, um, but that's not why we're here. Actually, why we're here is because a mutual a uh, friend of ours put us in touch um, and I was just amazed at the story she was telling me about all the great marketing work that has been happening at Nuff Said before even a product has launched. I mean, you say that mm. a product wasn't available when you joined you know, a year and a half ago. The product only became available to my knowledge a couple of months ago. So there has been almost a year's worth, if not more, of marketing work going on behind the scenes to build awareness, create the category and make sure that there's a big splash made when the product does land in the market. So talk me through that. Talk me through some of the challenges that you've faced in marketing a product that isn't even available to customers yet. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's definitely unique because normally you th- like people hire marketers after they have customers after it's maybe too, you know, too late to play a long game. And it's, it's like, we needed marketing yesterday. Um, I think we're really lucky in that our CEO just generally gets content marketing. Um, he understands the, that it's a long game before you start seeing results. And it's important. I mean, our whole strategy was let's build an audience before the product is ready. So when the product is ready, we have people to sell to. Um, and there were kind of two pieces of that that strategy specifically. Um, the one is build an audience, just kind of like broadly speaking, in front of our uh, for customer success leaders as who we target, and then also build relationships with individuals that 
um, you know, when, when we brought in sales and when the product is ready, it's like we have 400 people lined up um, and they're already asking for the product. So we're, we're good to go. Um, challenges are, uh, you know, when you, when you're, when you, I started about a year before the product was ready, um, you're plus. And when you have people become aware of you that early, the, the challenge can be p- keeping them warm. Um, how do you make sure that they don't forget about you? And um, that's actually been kind of like a really hard thing to solve. Um, uh, we've done a couple of different things, like keeping people uh, in a newsletter or inviting them to webinars and things like that have been really helpful. Um, we have email campaigns, but I think that is a, that's a kind of a big thing that you have to think about when you, when you start marketing pretty early. Um, I think the other thing that's pretty hard is that you don't have a feedback loop from sales. So that, you know, that can show up in positioning. Are you, people might say, oh, this lands well, but are they, people, um, we had a lot of people doing feedback sessions on the product. Um, Actually, I think that that's something that Nuffsa did a great job with is just talking to a lot of potential customers before the product was ready. But people have a different mindset when they come into a feedback session versus a demo. you know, if uh, the you don't really know how well something is landing until you're actually selling them and if they're buying it. So um, yeah, it just you're kind of getting signals that you're going in the right direction. But um, once sales comes in, you you all of a sudden have like a huge influx of changes that you need to start making. So mm-hmm. um, the, I, I think the only thing, other thing that I would say is that if you don't have a CEO that kind of gets the long game of marketing, you probably have to do a lot more work around justifying what you're doing. And we were lucky to not have to do that, but that could probably be a challenge for other teams. Yeah, I understand. I mean, you talked a little bit there about not necessarily having the feedback loops with sales and um, talking to kind of customers directly. I think that was one of my kind of main, that would be one of my main concerns if I was in a similar boat to you when I was trying to you know market a product that doesn't exist yet is, I don't have any clients that I can kind of validate my decision making against. Talk me through those like very early days. You know, were you just kind of putting stuff out there based on gut feel and then talking to kind of prospective customers to to get their feedback? Or was it the other way around? Were you talking to potential customers first and then making the decisions on kind of what your strategy was going to be? Or, and I guess to a degree, you know, what, role did your background play in that? You know, you, you say that you're a content marketer at mm. heart. Um, did you kind of come into the role saying to the CEO, th- instinctively, this is the approach I think that we need to take and we need to run some tests and validate it? Yeah, I was trying to be really careful not to do that because I don't, um, I don't necessarily like when people come in and they have their playbook and they just kind of copy and paste it to another company. Because um, my previous my previous company was in the developer space, which is very different from customer success. Um, so I came in and um, the founders had already been doing tons of interviews with customer success people just to make sure that they were building for the right audience. Um, and so we generally had a sense of what problems those people were facing. And it was great to have that coming in. It's like, okay, here's our you know, Excel sheet of interviews and here's where people live and here's what um, they're worried about and what they do in their day to day. So a lot of it was just like using that document and then starting to pay attention to where customer success people are talking. Um, 
uh, I said I was in developer space previously. Twitter is huge for those people, but cu customer success people like basically don't even exist on Twitter. Um, LinkedIn's really big. There are also a lot of Slack communities. So just kind of like going in and trying to listen and then also trying to figure out who is influential in the space and seeing what they're saying was a lot of what I was doing at the beginning. Um, and I do think I do think I'm biased because I uh, I see the value of content so much. Um, but what we saw was uh, a pretty big gap in kind of like 401 content, if that makes sense for customer success. There's a lot of, um, especially like the customer success software that exists, they were producing a lot of content that was kind of more for um, a basic level or an entry level CSM um, uh, kind of audience and and a lot of content like what is customer success what you know what is customer success versus customer experience or what are these definitions and things like that um, but we didn't see a lot of the kind of deeper thought leadership content um, that was pushing the industry forward and so it was just kind of a uh, okay people want this there it doesn't exist and we can use content to fill that gap um, so yeah yeah. Looking at the kind of Nusset website and all the stuff that, that you have been putting out there over the last um, year or so, um, you certainly have not adopted a kind of conventional B2B uh, playbook, right? Um, my, my backgrounds in enterprises I've mentioned and, you know, historically events have played the kind of biggest role in our marketing efforts and kind of outbound and cold outreach and in mail and all that kind of stuff um looking at enough said it's all very exciting it's all very fresh as you said um in terms of the kind of the look and feel but also the kind of content types you've launched a coffee book coffee table book um if i if i understand it correctly you have interviewed a bunch mm -hmm. of high profile customer success success executives from the likes of salesforce and others on your podcast um walk me through a few of the kind of marketing highlights over the last year um, that have enabled you to build that awareness, that excitement, and that momentum for, for Nuff Said in advance of its launch? Yeah. So we, um, the biggest thing, the first thing that we did was put in kind of a consistent pulse. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we're um, like not for, not letting people forget about us. Um, we, we started with a newsletter um, and the whole idea there was let's feature kind of the 401 content, feature one perspective every single week from a customer success leader. Um, and the idea is let's be the go-to source every week. Like the one thing that a customer success leader, specifically VP level would read every single week. Um, so we started with that newsletter. We, um, we actually started building social pretty like kind of later on. Um, we did a podcast and then um, we've done panel discussions and uh, yeah, the magazine as well. So the magazine was pretty much an idea of how we have all these kind of consistent publishing things going on and how do we do something that just makes a splash in the market? Um, I had also done a book at my previous company. So I knew that that was a format that we could do. Um, but it was also something that we could really lean into this like deep thought leadership that we were producing already and um, create 
something that was special for people. Um, so yeah, those were, those were kind of the big things that we did consistent pulse plus a couple of big splash, um, uh, projects, the magazine, then we also, the panel discussions have been really helpful for us to kind of grow our audience as well. Um, and uh, those kind of have, have had a different format as well. We've, instead of doing webinars, we've brought together who we think are like the three, four experts on a topic and, and done Q&A style. Yeah. And I'm curious, how are you, how are you measuring the success of all of those efforts? Because I guess part of it, kind of comes back to the point you keep making, which is around the CEO that believes in the kind of the content marketing piece and the branding piece, um, which certainly helps. But I, I, I guess that at the end of the day, they're looking for some sort of evidence that these things are having an impact. Um, so, so how are you mm -hmm. kind of measuring the success of uh, the podcast, the magazine and, and what have you? Yeah, I think the, well, it's definitely audience engagement, um, you know, we're looking at things like traffic, shares, clicks, um, and um, also the other thing that I think about, there's a quote out there that says, uh, marketing exists to make sales easier. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of what we've done has just been modeling that concept, um, especially when sales did eventually come in. The idea is let's make sure everybody knows about us before you know, the SDR reaches out or before they're on a call with our sales manager. Um, and so those are kind of the, like, there's kind of a qualitative piece to answer your question and, um, and just like generally looking at follower growth as well. So how is our audience growing on all of these different channels? Um, do we feel like these are worth the effort? Um, and is it helping the sales process? Are we getting um, interest and enough fam familiarity for people to, uh, know about a product and make it easy for sales. Hmm. And does that kind of trickle down to any kind of, I guess, revenue-based targets? So like leads kind of more kind of convent marketing qualified leads, sales qualified yeah. opportunities, things like that. Yeah, we do. I mean, marketing is ultimately, um, accountable from MQLs and demo requests, but, um, Right now, we're still we're doing a lot of testing around pricing, and so it's it's a little bit harder to measure ROI when you're doing that much testing, and you're also kind of getting people in the product to do a lot of feedback and things like that. Um, so we've really looked at MQLs and demo requests much more than uh, revenue right now, but I know that that'll be more important in the next six months. Yeah, sure. So if I could kind of sum up then the kind of the Nufset strategy to date, essentially it's been. Um, pre-product launch. Um, the goal or objective has been to raise awareness, uh, generate some stickiness, and warm up potential opportunities for the sales team for when when they do arrive. And yeah. the way that you've done that is you have activated the channels where you had firm evidence that your potential customers were spending their time, as you say, it wouldn't be something like Twitter, it'd be something like on LinkedIn, and really just hammering home that value. You know, how can we find, um, uh, or how can we create rather this 401 content that currently doesn't exist elsewhere for our potential customers and just throw out as much value as we possibly can over the course of 12 months so that when we do launch the product, it is we're not we're not starting from from cold we are we are ready to go and customers are ready to talk to us yeah 
Exactly. I think um, one other thing that I'd add is that one of our marketing values is treat content like a product. And um, that's just, we want to make sure that our, our content is authentically helping our target audience in a way that they, um, in a way that they need it. I should get down a t-shirt tree content like a product that would, <laughs> that would sell out. Um, no, that's, that, that's great. And so, so that strategy makes sense to me. I think, you know, for me, a big part of B2B sales is credibility. So, you know, customers, when they're potentially signing up for kind of multi-month, multi-year terms to a particular product or solution, you know, they're spending not an insignificant sum if they're taking out a kind of enterprise account for the product that is going to affect the day-to-day working lives of many of their colleagues. Um, You know, they want to be sure that someone has trodden the path before them and seen success. Hence why you see so many B2B companies throwing out kind of case study after case study after case study to say, you know, yes, this works and here is the evidence to prove that it has worked for others. You obviously, or enough said, I should say, didn't necessarily have that right at the very beginning because you didn't have a product. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. there, there was, you know, there was nothing you can point to at the beginning and say, here is a customer who's had that success before. So how have you kind of worked to establish that credibility with the product before it's even fully launched? Yeah. And I can't take too much credit for this. I think that what we've done is brought people into product feedback sessions and then um, with our founder and our, our uh, then CPO, now COO, um, we we kind of made a, a pretty big effort to bring people along in the journey. So we've been showing people the product for a year or more. And um, it's just like, here's our thinking, you know, um, how would you want this to be built? What is your reactions on this? Um, and here's where we're planning on heading. And then we show it again. So we kind of keep people in the loop with, with, okay, here's what we're building. We're building it based on your feedback and we built the thing. And so I think that um, keeping a solid group in the loop throughout your process, throughout the, the product being built um, has been really helpful for people knowing, okay, yeah, this is, I know how they're thinking about the product. Um, I like how they're thinking about the product and they're, they're delivering on what they say they're going to deliver on. So when the product was actually ready, they already knew what was coming and um, it was kind of like built based on their feedback. So I think, I I think it's, um, it's, it seems simple, but I just don't see a lot of companies do that kind of thing where they're just, just like actually asking people, um, and actually keeping people in the loop. And I think that that's been a huge, super, super helpful in creating credibility. And then now we're thinking about more about, okay, yeah, how do we get uh, case studies at a very basic level? Obviously, we can't do fully built out things yet because people haven't had the product for that long. Um, but we can do things around like quotes, um, uh, just small kind of testimonials that are also helpful. I also think, and you know, to tell me what, tell me if you agree here. The fact that you've been able to put out so much high quality content over the course of the last twelve months that isn't just necessarily from the Nuff said perspective, but has been looping in other kind of highly respected, respected, I assume, customer service executives and professionals, mm. um, has allowed the company to benefit from that halo effect. You know, it's something that I've certainly. Um, leveraged when when trying to get a case study off the ground with a customer who doesn't want to do a case study, um, whether it's a commercial reason, legal reason, or laziness reason, you know, instead of saying, hey, let's do a kind of cookie cutter, 
you know, problem solution, uh, uh, results, uh, written case study. Let's get you onto a podcast. Let's get you speaking at a, a, an event or something. And let's make this about you. You know, you tell us how you view the mm. industry and then the company I work for then benefits from that halo effect of being able to source that speaker and appear on stage or appear on a podcast with that speaker. Um, is that something that also kind of you were thinking about as you were developing that strategy? If we get these high profile people involved with us, that can only in turn help. Right. There's two, there's two, um, well, actually kind of like three angles that it helps you with. Um, it helps you with being associated, like you said, being associated with those people. Um, and especially if they have a large audience, uh, it also helps you kind of build relationships with those. Ideally, you're talking to people that are good potential customers for your product, either now or sometime in the future. Um, the other thing that's that's really helpful, like you said, talking about case studies, if you can't have them talk about a case study, if they are bought into kind of the message that your product is pushing forward, um, then you can have them kind of speak or promote to promote that message. So for example, um, Nuff said is focused on helping customer success leaders a become proactive and also become more influential at the executive level. So um, if we can talk to people that promote that message of like the future of the customer success leader isn't just thinking about their own department, they're thinking about how to influence other departments, um, then we're we're not necessarily getting a case study, but we are getting someone that's highly influential in the space talking about something that we believe in and that our product helps them do. Mm. It's kind of like a next best thing. Definitely. Did you did you struggle at all to 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 convince these executives to appear within your content? I mean, I imagine kind of coming up as a brand no one's ever heard of before. These executives get emails all the time to appear on stage mm. or appear on podcasts or you know provide quotes or whatever. Did, did, did you struggle at all? How did you overcome that? You, do, you have to kind of build up, um, you, you know, it's, we, we didn't target the, the top people at the beginning. We targeted people that we think we thought we could get on calls with. Um, and so it, once you have a few under your belt, you're able to kind of point, point to those as, um, you know, oh, we interviewed, you know, your friend or someone you maybe know in the space. Um, and it's actually a good place for you to be there. The other thing that you can do is point to audience numbers if you have them. And um, the other thing that's helpful is we were able to use the magazine as a different way for them to be promoted. So it wasn't just, you know, a podcast or a blog that they maybe have already done a lot of interviews for. Um, but we were able to say, you know, we're going to feature you this interview in a print magazine, which is kind of um, just a, a bigger draw for them. So I would say, I would say um, yes and no. <laughs> uh, it, I, I think like for other people that are, are looking to do something similar, definitely start with people that you think you can get on a call. So you can point to those interviews when you try to go bigger. Um, and you'd be surprised. I mean, what the, the worst thing that happens is that they just don't respond or they don't, they say no. Um, but you'd, you'd be surprised. I mean, you're just highlighting people and making them look good. So um, especially if you're finding people that are already out there promoting their brand or um, kind of being active in the space, they, you know, might be, might be willing to give you 30 minutes of their time. Definitely. I, that's definitely been my experience, both running this podcast and running kind of um, branded podcasts and, and other things like newsletters. When you put in the ask, um, 
most of the time people will say yes. And if they even if they don't say even if they don't say yes, it's it's not so much a no as it is a not right now. And mm. you know, the door is left open for you to come back when maybe you have got a few wins under your belt and, and try again. I don't think I've ever had anyone flat out refuse um or, you know, call me every name under the sun just by putting in a simple <laughs> request to kind of come on a podcast or feature in a newsletter or what have you. So um if if people are listening to this, one thing to take away, I guess, is just don't don't be don't be scared to put in that ask. You know, it's it's probably more likely to go your way than than not. Um, we've been talking a little bit about this magazine throughout this this episode, um, but I really want to dive into it uh, specifically because I love it. I love print materials. I I love. I think more B two B brands need to be you know using print um, as because everything's moving so far into the digital world that actually delivering a highly produced beautifully produ- beautifully written and um, designed print magazine is something that just stands out by virtue of the fact that no one else in your industry is probably doing it so tell me a little bit about the initiative you know how did you guys conceive of that idea what was the reaction from your potential customers and uh, what's what's been the result since then yeah so but even before the magazine it was like how do we make a big splash and like you said Nobody is doing a magazine in customer success, um, especially not print. And um, it was also a way to kind of highlight this thought leadership that we were already doing. So the original idea was let's just bundle a bunch of articles and interviews that we've already done into kind of like an ebook format um, and make it really nicely designed and do digital and print. And um, it kind of evolved to become a harder project than we originally, we originally were just going <laughs> to, re- you know, kind of use it as a repackaging, um, kind of repackaging just the stuff that we'd already created. We ended up creating a ton of new content for it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the idea. We're going to do it twice a year, which is also a lofty goal. I would say, you know, for um, in terms of like cost and time investment, you really have to know what you're getting into if you're going to do something more than once. Um but in terms of engagement, um, oh, and also I think, you know, there's a bunch of different components that you have to think about. Um, design is design is like weirdly influential on people's perspective of how quality a piece of content is. So if if you're, just don't skimp on design. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we usually, so we would, we hired a internal layout person and a illustrator for the project. Um, and it's expensive, but it's just, it's worth it because people look at something and they say, wow, you know, um, they just kind of have like an irrational, uh, kind of just approach to, to when they see it. So, um, there's also, you know, like print is, is expensive as well, but there's a bunch of different printers out there. There's blurb, you can do blurb. Um, we ended up going with a different printer, but, um, there's just, there's a lot of different kind of things that go into it. and then in terms of in- engagement, it really did exactly what we were hoping to do. We um, did a big launch around it. We uh, said, you know, the first, anybody that commented on Chris, our CEO's post would get a print version of the, the magazine. And so that um, got a lot of people coming in to get the print magazine. Um, it, it's been a really helpful sales tool. So um, SDRs and sales managers can um, use it like to reach out to people or to as, as part of the sales process to send somebody something, um, a print magazine. So that's been great. 
Um, another thing that we did that was kind of a big push around it was asking people to take pictures with the magazine. And um, actually, a lot of people did 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 it. They took pictures, they posted on uh, LinkedIn, and then all of their followers saw it. And lots of people came through those as well. So there was kind of like um, the initial launch and the activity around that. And then it's just continued. Even we see things every now and then uh, today. So so it's been really helpful over the over the year. I love this idea. And I, I kind of think of it in the same bucket as taking out out of home advertising as a B2B brand. It's maybe not something that you want to do all the time, but when you are looking to make a splash, it will stand out by virtue of the fact that so few of your kind of competitors and contemporaries are probably doing stuff like producing highly designed, beautiful print magazines and taking on mm-hmm. out of home um, advertising like billboards and lighting up buildings and things like that. And uh, I think, you know, in the short description you've given me on, on on how this campaign rolled out, it looks like it just checked so many boxes. It gave the team a point of focus, you know, it, it, even if we don't, you know, even if you don't do any other kind of content marketing over the course of the year by producing this amazing magazine, you are creating the fuel that will power um, a content marketing strategy over the course of the year. Fantastic mm-hmm. case of surprise and delight. You know, I've, I, I looked on Twitter and I saw all the customer service executives who received it, um, holding it up and, and posting photos um, mm. uh, uh, with it in their hands. And, you know, just a small moment of joy to receive that via the post. Um, and that's that's super important when you're trying to raise that awareness and, and memorability and stickiness, which is obviously you know, the whole point of the marketing strategy, um, up until, up until now. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, a, a, a great example of thinking outside the box and, uh, and credit to you and the team for, for pulling it off. Cause I've done it before and it is no easy feat, um, pulling, pulling something like that together. Um, what now that the product has launched and what is the kind of next stage? What is the next chapter of the Nuff Said marketing strategy look like? Is it more of the same? Is it building on what you've already done? Is it a complete pivot into a different direction? Appreciate you may not be able to share too many details, but mm-hmm. give me a little bit of a sense of, you know, what does the next 12 months hold? Yeah, a lot of it's more of what we've done. Um, we have really focused on this kind of content and community approach. We do have a community um, of, it's it's more kind of like a think tanky discussion group. Um, so a lot of more of what we've done, but then also adding on, there's, there's just a bunch of, there's more needs from the business. You know, um, we have a sales team now and there's a lot of product marketing work that needs to be done. We need to overhaul the website. We need to, um, you know, eventually start putting dollars and PR behind what we're doing. Um, and so that's kind of the vision for it, but, uh, um, that'll content will, at least for the next few years, still be the core of our strategy. Yeah, that makes total sense. Looking back, is there anything that you wish you would have done differently across any of the the projects and initiatives and campaigns that you've run? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of things. <laughs> and also talk to me in five years, and I would, I would probably <laughs> tell you a lot of a lot of the response would be completely different. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, kind of two things that come to mind. One of them that's very tactical is has to do with the website. So um, for other people that are early on, definitely invest in your website, but you don't have to kind of overdo it. (laughs) You don't have, we have a huge website. It's, it's massive. It's beautiful. We spent a lot of time on it. Um, But your, 
your positioning is going to change at least every month, if not. Um, and by positioning, I, I mean more just like your messaging, how you're pitching it to people, what you're realizing is landing well and not, um, that you really shouldn't, you should be able to be flexible. And that might mean having a much more scaled back website at the beginning. Um, and that also has to do with, you know, sales decks and things like that. You need to be able to quickly edit those things. Um, so that was, that was a big, that was a big learning process for me. Um, and another thing I think is like, we have tons of ideas of things that we want to do. And we really have to be picky about what things we're focusing on. We only have two people full time right now. And, um, you know, if we, we decided to do the magazine, that's twice a year. Um, like you said, that is like a huge kind of like foundational piece of our content strategy. Um, and it, uh, dictates the other things that we're producing, but, um, there are just certain things that you can't sign up for. And, um, you have to kind of like put all the options on the table and then decide which bet you're going to take. It's, it's the hardest thing to do. Um, particularly <laughs> as creatives, you know, I've certainly been in that boat when you've got a, a kind of to-do list that's 200, 300 items long. Um, that's just filled of filled with, you know, whatever great crazy ideas come to your head, um, that you want to get mm -hmm. to some point, but just the kind of the day to day, um, kind of keeps it, keeps it at arm's length. Um, and, you know, I've, I, and I'm sure you've been in this boat as well, like whether you manage a team of two or you manage a team of 200, there will always be things that you want to do that you have to kind of prioritize what is going to have the biggest impact um, in, in that moment. Um, it's a skill. It's definitely a skill. Two final questions for you, Brooke. What do you think is going to be the biggest change in how B2B companies market themselves in the next five years? Yeah, so community is definitely a buzzword. Um, but I think we're going to start seeing a lot more companies kind of leaning into it authentically. Um, you know, historically, we've seen a lot of ads and SEO focused content, and it's all about traffic and clicks and things like that. And I think we're going to see start seeing a lot more companies treating content and community like a product and um, using those things to genuinely as tools to genuinely serve uh, problems that their audience faces. So I think I think content and community, but um, treating it like a product. I love that quote. Who do you think I should interview next on B2B Better? Two people come to mind, especially if, you know, you know, this audience is about building marketing teams from scratch. Um, both were from my pre previous company at GitPrime, um, which was acquired by Pluralsight. But the, the first person is Ben Thompson. He was my manager there. He was the uh, CMO and co-founder and actually kind of just like a general branding and design guru. Um, a lot of what I learned around content and like how to elevate your audience and treating content like a product, these kinds of things came from him. Um, the other person is Mike Smith. He is now at Launch Darkly. Um, he was also at GitPrime and he was the, the demand gen slash operations kind of everything guy uh, <laughs> that played a huge part in growing our company. Um, and uh, yeah, he's just a, a total like growth hacker kind of guy. And um, bringing him in was like absolutely critical to where that company went. Well, I'm definitely going to be hitting you up for introductions to both Ben and Mike. But before mm -hmm. I let you go, where can people find you online? Where can they learn more about you? And if they've got any questions about the, the kind of the, the strategy that you've taken with Nuff Set up until now, you know, how can they get in touch? Yeah, best place is LinkedIn, uh, Brooke Perry. 
go find me and message me. Great. I'll drop the link to your uh, to your LinkedIn profile in the description of this episode. But otherwise, Brooke, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. If you're in demand gen, a growth hacker, or a B2B marketer, you need to know about Chili Piper. Its concierge tool allows you to eliminate the waiting period between a prospect filling out a form on your website and getting a meeting with someone in your business. Companies like Twilio, Spotify, and Gong all use Chili Piper to double their inbound conversion rates. And the best thing is that marketers using Chili Piper are better equipped to accurately attribute channel spend thanks to a no-fuss, two-way sync between the platform and their CRM. You know I'm a believer in a frictionless customer journey, and this is the tool that can make it happen. Turn meetings into leads instantly with Chili Piper. Head over to chilipiper.com forward slash B2B better to learn more. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast, leave a rating, a comment, a review, or just share it on social media. It'll really make my day. Every Monday morning, I send out a newsletter to B2B marketers all around the world on how to do better B2B marketing. You can sign up to that via the link that I'm going to leave in the description of this episode. Or if you need a fix of B2B marketing content goodness right now, you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com. See you next week. This episode was sponsored by Chili Piper.